Great to see you this morning. Very glad you're here. Um, <clears throat> so, as Chris said, uh, we're in a series at the minute entitled At the Moment, and we have been for weeks and months, and we'll be in for another while uh, called Why Church. And this morning it is to be a people who pray. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at the purpose of church in the New Testament and what it is and what it's supposed to be and what it's supposed to do. The word church is ecclesia or I don't know, maybe it's perhaps better pronounced ecclesia. I've heard some pronounce it that way. And it denotes an assembly of those summoned. I love that title. I I love that way of church, an assembly of those summoned. And uh, you're not summoned by us here this morning. You're welcomed by us, but you're summoned by someone else, the one who we have been singing, who is glorified, who is the head of the church. The church is any church, any New Testament church is an assembly of called out ones, saints, the people of the age to come. Saints are not those who have died. Ah, well, some saints have died, but we're saints. And saints is always in plural. There's no such thing as saint in the singular in the New Testament. Saints is always in the plural. And this church of Jesus Christ is universal. It's made up of many people from all ages and all nations and tribes and tongues with Jesus Christ as the head of the church. But at the local level, there are churches. And again, in the New Testament, it's mostly plural churches that are assemblies of people who gather in their own context, in their own time and space. And in the New Testament, uh, we can see that these churches, they had meetings, they had practices, they met at certain places, some of those places are, are named. They had leadership, they're called overseers and servants or deacons. And they were there to enable the church to be a local expression of the church of Jesus Christ. So a church is a gathering of the people of God. And what we looked at in terms of the characteristics of this people was that the church is a people of the Spirit, a people who know and experience the presence of God as their originating source of life and as their source of power as their ongoing enabling source of power. And we looked at uh, also a people who sing, a people who sing both to God and about God, telling and retelling his story. And we considered, uh, and Chris led us very well that morning, on the formative power that singing has in Christian discipleship. Then we looked at a people who baptize in water, a people who baptize others who are repenting and who have believed the good news. A people who eat together then, a people who come to one table as one people to eat and drink at a glory provided for them, the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus. And in the new year, on the 9th, uh, we will look, of 9th of January, we will look at the subject of people who are led by servants, especially looking at what the New Testament teaches about church elders or, or overseers will be what uh, we'll be mainly referring elders uh, as overseers 
and also looking at what the New Testament teaches about those who are identified as servants in the church as well. And uh, that's important to us. We're going forward into thinking about oversight and about servants in church. We're going forward with the Word of God. Let's go first with what the Word say, And then we'll have to pray through and fast through our way. Because as has already been said, and for those who are part of Connect, it is our desire and intention to recognize other overseers and other servants. So please be in prayer about that, but more of that really on the 9th of January. So today's topic is, Why Church a People Who Pray? Being a disciple of Jesus involves prayer. To follow Jesus is to learn how to pray. And we know this because Jesus prayed. We know this because he taught his own disciples about prayer and how to pray. Jesus prayed. Think about that. Jesus prayed. But in addition to learning how to pray as an individual disciple of Jesus, we need to think what it looks like to pray with others, to be part of a people who pray. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, we have both. We have personal and private prayer, and we have corporate and communal or community prayer as well. And we're going to look mostly at the writings of Luke uh, this morning when it comes to understanding what it is to be a people who pray. Luke wrote a lot about prayer in his gospel and in the book of Acts as well. So first of all, Luke chapter 11, please. Luke chapter 11 and one, starting in verse one, and it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed and I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks and keeps on asking receives. Everyone who seeks and keeps on seeking finds. And everyone who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would he give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? One day, Jesus was praying. 
that statement, first of all. Jesus was praying one day, but this day definitely was the time that he prayed. Jesus prayed often. I say again, think of that. The God-man, our Lord Jesus Christ, prayed often. To be like Jesus is to pray. To be like Jesus is to pray. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be one who is learning to pray like Jesus. And it's instructive to read the Gospels and observe when and where and how Jesus prayed. He prayed before he named his 12 apostles. He gathered the disciples, but he named 12. And he prayed as he entered into distress, into the distress of his suffering. Those are two really key moments. But throughout his earthly life, he made prayer his habit and his routine. Look at a few of these with me. Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Matthew 14.23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Luke 5.16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6, 12, one of those days Jesus went to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. Jesus had a habit of praying. Question, what is your habit when it comes to prayer? What are your habits when it comes to prayer? What habits could you build into your life in the area of prayer? Habits form us. I think we should experiment with prayer. Now, you won't start where Jesus got to in his habitual No, he's Jesus after all. But start where you're at. And this is my, really, my appeal and my request that this part is start where you're at. Think about it. Don't just rush on right now. Uh, think about what habits you're building in. You can have all kinds of fun with this. How do we do this? Um, give me a number between 1 and 50. 36. 36. So I know I'm right now praying for an area of my life that I have pegged to the number 36. Learned 30, I've learned 55 prayer requests that are prayed every day. Some, have experiment. Work with this kind of stuff. Work with this kind of stuff and habitually build it into your life. You'll have all kinds of fun that you can have, no matter how young you are, to the young ones. L write down this afternoon. In fact, go into your room, take a notepad and say, Lord, give me 10 requests that I can pray to you on a routine basis. Learn them off by heart. Say them out loud for the next 10 days. Folks, we need to get into the habit of Praying, not gimmicks, and not um, most certainly of. Are we back on? Back on now? This? No. How are we doing? Which one am I going for? Just keep going. Hold, I'm just going to hold one and have one stuck in my ear. It's up to you guys to work it out. 
uh, not gimmicky, but get into the practice of it. Get into the practice of praying on purpose. And you'll see all kinds of uh, interesting things happen in your life. But prayer, Jesus prayed in private and alone. And to do that as well. I think anybody that I've ever read that got to know God and got to know God well, they had a long period, they had long periods of time where they were spending alone with God. But don't start with the long times. Start with the short times and build it up to the long times. We want to get to know God, we're going to have to learn to spend time with him. And it'll be hard at time and it'll be awkward at time. But to build a relationship with God, we need to learn to build into our life this habit of praying alone. But prayer is not one-dimensional. Prayer is multi-dimensional. Yes, prayer is a private and a personal activity, and we have to uh, be not wanting others to see what kind of prayer life we have. Jesus warned against that, in fact. He said, don't pray like the hypocrites pray. Go into your room and close the door, and the Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. God is a rewarding Father when it comes to these kinds of things. He's not stingy with his rewards either. But there's also the place, and we see it throughout the New Testament, for communal and corporate prayer. We'll look, we'll look at Luke again in the book of Acts. So turn to uh, Acts 2.42, first of all. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they give to anyone as he had need. Now, some have said that verse 42 sets out ideal church, church practices, but the question is, uh, how are they applying verses 43 and verses 44 as well? That's not one that people are inclined to lean into as much, but so we should think about what the application of that might look like. But one of the things that the New Testament church did was that they devoted themselves to prayer. Listen to this. They devoted themselves. No one else can devote you. You've got to devote yourself. Devotion comes from the heart, and it's got to be done by ourselves. You can't be anybody else. You've got to devote yourselves, yourself. And then we move forward to Acts chapter 4, and we'll break into the record here after two of the disciples, Peter and John, had been released from prison for preaching and healing, and they had been told that they must stop preaching in the name of Christ. And this is what the, the, the church, the, the ecclesia did at uh, verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? 
The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will has decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to help and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So what can we learn from this passage about being a people who pray? First of all, we pray to a God who is sovereign over all and is the creator of all things. That's who we are approaching together. A God who is sovereign over all as the creator of all things. Verse 24, and they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come. Matthew records it, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in the heavens. And there's a way of looking at God's sovereignty that makes Jesus' prayer and biblical prayer next to impossible, makes it psychologically impossible. The view, this view of God's sovereignty communicates that God will do precisely what he's going to do anyhow. And I think this kind of prayer just really makes uh, biblical prayer in other places essentially impossible. But the sovereign Lord, he is the one who rules and reigns on the earth. And I believe that he rules and reigns on the earth through the prayers and through the praying of his people. And this is a profound mystery that God gets his will done through the prayers of the saints. We pray because God is sovereign, not to overcome God's sovereign will, but to fulfill God's sovereign will. So first of all, they prayed to a God who was sovereign, who they knew he was creator of heaven and earth and the sea and all that was in it. Then secondly, they prayed the scriptures. They prayed the scriptures. In Acts 4, we read that the people quoted, the people praying quoted the Bible back to God. They prayed Psalm 2. I think Psalm 2 is an excellent psalm to be praying in these days, considering all that's going on. To be meditating and to be confessing Psalm chapter 2. Praying the Bible is another one of those great aids when it comes to to praying. God, listen, God has arranged it for his thoughts and his promises to be written down for us to read. The creator of the heavens and the earth has arranged it that his thoughts are written down for us to read. What a mystery. What an awesome privilege. And I think to become a people who pray, we need to get to know the Bible. We need to get to know the character of God through the Bible. We need to get to know the promises of God made in the Scriptures and pray them back to Him. Why We're not shooting in the dark with our prayers when we are praying the Bible. 
shape your prayers around what the Bible reveals about God and his nature. Shape your prayers around what the scriptures teach. Thirdly, they prayed in unity. They prayed in one accord. The church in the New Testament prayed together. They prayed in fellowship and they prayed in community. We already read that in Acts chapter 2, 40 through, verse 43, 47. They prayed in one accord, Acts 4, 24. They raised their voice with one accord. And this means much, much more than gathering in a room for a prayer meeting together. This one accord, this unity. When Jesus taught on prayer, he linked it with teaching on forgiveness. Think about how many times he did that. The receiving and the extending of forgiveness belong, belong together. And this subject now, I think, will affect and impact your prayer life and our communal prayer life more than anything. Mark 11, 22. Jesus answered and said to them, Have the faith of God. Go look into the original and you'll see why I'm saying it that way. Have the faith of God. I surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, Believe you receive and you will have. And, when and that's where our word of faith brothers and sisters sometimes drop it off there. Because the next verse says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. I'm going to make you a promise this morning. You are going to have to apply this scripture at some time. This is going to happen. You are going to need to be forgiven if you're part of the church. You are going to need to forgive if you're part of the church. This is going to happen. There is not a year goes by. There's sometimes not a month goes by in my life where some part of this verse has to be applied. It, I promise you it will come. Unforgiveness will hinder your prayer life more than anything. And can I speak to the guys as well? Not being considerate to your wife will hinder your prayer life as well. That's what 1 Peter 3, 7 says. So our prayer life can be effective or our prayer life can be, our prayers can be hindered. There are many mysteries. There's, there are um, great mysteries when it comes to this issue of praying. But in as much as there is uh, restrictions placed on our prayer life when there's unforgiveness, when there's disunity. There's great power released when there is unity as well. And you know that I like to read and study about spiritual renewals and revival. And without doubt, this is the issue that comes up time and time again when people, one or two, start to pray together. You know, I'm just thinking right now as I'm standing, there was an outpouring of the Spirit in Glasgow, I think, in the 1980s, and two brothers got saved at that time, Scott brothers, 
Alan Scott and John Scott. That came about because a Calvinist pastor on one side of the denominational divide, theological divide, and an Arminian pastor on the other set their theological differences together and prayed that God would pour out his spirit on a community that was getting wrecked by drugs. There's great power released whenever people come into unity. And you, can, you get these stories over and over and over again. But this unity is not uniformity. And if there ever was a time to say this, it's definitely now. There is not a uniform approach to all that's going on around us, even from within the church. There is not agreement on all matters. But this agreement that Jesus speaks of, I don't think is conformity until a sense of it all being the same. This uh, is more, this word actually is, the word agree in Matthew 18 is the word to symphonize, symphony, where you have different instruments coming together to make the one sound. Isn't it interesting, again, when Jesus talks about, you know, the Lord Jesus, I think, mentioned the church three times and mentioned it twice in Matthew 18 when it comes to sorting out our stuff with each other. And it says, you come to the place of any two on earth agree concerning anything. It will be done by my Father in heaven. I have seen that happen over and over again, and especially praying with Kerry. When you come to that place of agreement around something, and know that there's nothing between you, and you can pray together, great power can be released. And that's what it should be like for the church in prayer. But we have to start where we're at. We can't pretend that there's unity when there isn't. We have to work through these issues till we get to the place of issue. And the church is a place where people of different backgrounds and experiences and perspectives come together to make one sound in the place of prayer. So let us move towards that one sound. Fourthly, the people who prayed here, they prayed with an expectation of the miraculous. They expected God and his power to do something that only he could. They did not reduce their praying to what might happen in the natural. They asked for the supernatural. If the answers to our prayers might happen in the natural anyway, then I don't think we are yet praying in the Spirit, and we are not yet praying according to God's Word. There is no possibility, none, that I can accomplish the things that I've been praying for in my own ability. That's a great place to be. I don't think God wants me to make it easy for Him. Not to be praying in presumption. Not to be praying uh, in a place that we are commanding and telling God what we think that he should do. But praying in a place that we need faith to see the things accomplished that are beyond what would happen just by coincidence. It's interesting. I love uh, when it's talk about prayer to think about what William Temple, the former archbishop, said. He said, that when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't pray, they don't. Think God is a way of working things together. But even, are you asking for anything that is beyond your own natural ability? Are you asking for anything that could happen, maybe it would happen anyway by coincidence? Get things on your list that are impossible to man. 
and only possible to God. What have you got to lose? And we need to be careful about staying away from presumption. We need to stay away from arrogance. This is why we first of all submit ourselves to, but you sovereign Lord, you're sovereign, we are not. These people prayed with an expectation for and of the miraculous. I love spending time with people who have a sense of the immediacy of the kingdom of God breaking in where they are. Praying in a way that says, what is God going to do that I can join in with? Not asking God to come and bless our thing, but what is God by his spirit doing? What's he doing? Church, church called Cadet Christian Fellowship. What do we think God's doing in this community? Have we asked him? to speak by his spirit, to see what he wants to do in this place through us and join our prayers with what he is ordering because God always pays for what he orders. Fifthly, the people prayed boldly. There was no shame in this praying. And this takes us back to Luke 11. Jesus was, and go back to Luke 11, Jesus was asked by one of his disciples, teach us to pray. And Jesus did that. I have found that this is the prayer that Jesus always answers. This is the request that Jesus always answers. Teach us to pray. If you ask the Lord to teach you to pray, as someone who is, I think here, dear brother James the Elder, as he's affectionately known, said to me, what there he has said to me one day, he says, God, Paul, God answers prayer with more prayer. You see, when you start to pray in the Spirit, what happens is that a thirst to pray more comes in. Jesus will always answer the prayer, Lord, teach us to pray. He taught them. And by extension, I thought about this this morning. And I just had to pause and think about it. By extension, the Lord Jesus is teaching us to pray. He taught his own disciples. And he's now here teaching us through his word, by his spirit. Are you grasping anything of the enormity of this? Right here, right now, this is an amazing opportunity to be taught by Jesus. Lord, teach us. How to pray. A prayer course with Jesus. What? And in teaching them, he told them this parable. About a friend going to another friend at midnight, asking for three loaves. Now note this. This is important. The man, the friend wasn't asking for the loaves for himself. He was asking for these loaves to feed another friend who had come on a journey. It is not wrong for us or the church to ask in prayer for our needs to be met. Jesus said that our Father knows our needs, but he still told us to ask. Ask, ask for everything you can think of, anything that's good, anything that's godly. Just ask for it. 
it'll happen in the will of God, if we pray in the will of God. But this is not about asking for ourselves. The purpose of this prayer, I think that Jesus is teaching here, considering the flow of the passage and where it goes, that he said, ask for the good gifts of the Holy Spirit to give to others. Ask for the good gift, the good gift of the Holy Spirit and the good gifts that the Holy Spirit brings to give to others. The first Corinthians 14 directive is this. It's this. It is walk in the way of love and earnestly crave for spiritual manifestations. Lust, lust, walk in the way of love and lust for spiritual, holy spiritual manifestations. So think about this. This guy is coming to his friend and he wants, he says, I don't have enough bread in my house to give to this other man who's on a journey. Now, I need these loaves. And we need to become a praying church if we are going to have anything worthwhile to give to people who are on a journey. I mean, we want people, we want to meet people who are on a journey. If you're here for the first time this morning or for the second time and you don't know half a quarter of what I'm talking about, maybe for some who have heard me speak a lot of times, they still don't know. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, and you're on a journey. You are so welcome in this place. We want you to know Jesus. But for those of us that are here and have been here for a while, what have we got to give to people who are on a journey? Well, we have a place to go for it. And with shameless audacity, we need to go and ask for it. I was thinking as well about this. Jesus said, he was, he was moved with compassion. He said the people are like, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And the harvest is plentiful. What did, what did he say was the solution? Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest would send forth his laborers into his harvest. That's another prayer that God will answer, to pray for people to be sent. We want to have that apostolic commission on us of sentness. Just as Jesus was, was sent, so are we. And Jesus told the disciples, pray for laborers to go into the harvest. And I want to finish now by drawing your attention to verse 8 of Luke 11. It connects with the boldness that the people prayed in Acts chapter 4. And why they were praying with so boldly and without shame. In this parable, Jesus said that the friend rose and gave to his friend as much as he needed because of his, his friends. And the NIV will say persistence in asking. In prayer, persistence is needed. This is also one of the great mysteries of prayer, of which there are many. One of the most persistent prayers I've ever read about is a man called George Muller who in today's terms brought in millions of pounds for mission and to feed orphans. 
but he prayed for, I think, three men for decades. And one came to faith a few months before George Mueller died, and one came to faith, I believe, and I stand to be corrected, but it's something like this, at his funeral or at the time of his funeral. There is something about sticking at the desires that God has placed in our heart to pray for, to be persistent, to keep at it. And I don't understand how this works. I have prayed around specific things for a couple of days, and it happened within 24 hours. And I'm praying for other stuff for 20 years. But if Jesus remains in the heavens in 20 years' time, we'll still, I, I, I'll still be praying for that stuff by the grace of God because this is the kind of dogged persistence that's needed. But that's not really what this word means. Some versions use the word boldness. But it could be said that the word is even stronger than boldness. The AV uses the word importunity. I remember sitting as a child because we used the AV in the assembly that I was part of. What was, what's importunity? What does it mean? It means boldness plus plus. It means overboldness. It means shamelessness. And it is the truth that what another thing that will hinder our confidence in praying is shame. And I've worked with people who were following the Lord Jesus for a while and then they, for whatever reason, uh, had, a, had, a, had a stumble, had a spiritual leg break. And their confidence was shaken when it comes to this issue of praying. But the Lord Jesus has made provision for this. The writer to the Hebrews said that even though we have weaknesses and temptations, we can boldly come to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Why? Because we have one who represents us and maintains a perfect relationship with God for us in the heavens. And his name is Jesus, the one who has been exalted through the heavens. And if you put your confidence in him, the word of God says he will rescue you. And for those of us who have done that many years ago, the truth is this morning, he's still rescuing us. Here's the good news. And this about praying, this message about praying and about the church becoming a place of prayer is one thing. But the, that's, that's, that's truth. But the good news is that Jesus is praying for you this morning. Jesus is praying for us this morning. We get to join in on his prayers, but he is the forerunner in this. He is the one that's interceding for us. So as I finish, and we got a late start this morning, and I just will say to bear in mind that the kids, we've got to watch for them. We always said that we would 
organize things in a way that loves the people that's looking after our kids. No, we don't have goats looking after our children. But here is the, here is the appeal. Because, um, you know, again, you can't you see praying. You've got to do it because, you, because it's habitually, because you're following the way of Jesus. But you see to pray in the Spirit, you can't work that up. You can only pray it down. And I tell you, I long for us to become the first thing. Forget about everything else. Listen, we're doing lots of things in the mid-sized groups, and we're doing all kinds of things, and we're going to keep doing them. But the first thing is that we must become a church that prays. Mark and some others are leading the youth, and he said to me, do you think we could have a prayer meeting for the youth and their parents on Wednesday night? And for those who are interested in youth ministry, is there any other way to do ministry? You start by praying. This church, 40 years ago, started as a prayer group. It always comes back. Anything um, good in the kingdom of God and all things are good in the kingdom starts by prayer. And here's another thing. A phrase comes to mind that I read in a book uh, called Pray in the Spirit by Arthur Wallace. Get your hands on it. Get your hands on it. It's out of print, but you get it for pence on Amazon. He said that, uh, in the foreword, Terry Virgo says that a move of God will only last as long as the move of prayer or as the spirit of prayer that birthed it. We will only be a church with a light as long as as the spirit of prayer that birthed this thing in the first place is there. And we need more. We can't work it up. I wish I could. Because when I read about what happens when people pray, I want it. But I can't make it happen. We can pray it down by the, in humility, by the grace of God, I trust. So may, and I speak this as a blessing, May we become a church that prays in confidence to the sovereign Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. And may we be a church that prays truthfully in the light of the scriptures. And may we become a church that prays in one accord. And may we be a church that prays in the expectation of the miraculous. And may we become a church that shamelessly prays for more of God's Holy Spirit so that we can feed others who are on a journey. So I say to you, ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and it will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Ultimately, this is about the glory of God. 
In John 15, Jesus said, Ask in my name. Ask in my name. Why? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. The end of the day. This is not about our needs being met only and first. The end of the day, this is not about even spiritual renewal through us to reach the lost. End of the day. This is so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. Lord, teach us to pray.